Welcome to the AI on Action podcast, the show where we break down the hype and highlight the practical benefits of data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence on our everyday lives. Subscribe to the podcast, check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, or any Android podcast of choice. Today's guest is Patricia Scanlon. Patricia is the CEO of Soapbox Labs. Founded in 2013, Soapbox Labs' mission is to create the world's most accurate and accessible speech technology for children that support reading, language development, and children's voice control for IoT devices in the home. Over the course of this episode, you're going to learn about what inspired Patricia to set up Soapbox Labs, how voice AI has come on leaps and bounds in the past few years, how working with voice technology for children is a lot more challenging, Later, Patricia will talk to us about data privacy and responsibility and what's next for voice AI. Hope you really enjoyed this episode, so let's get right into it. Welcome to the show, Patricia. Uh, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, Patricia, can you give us a little bit of a background about yourself and how you came about setting up Soapbox Labs? Yeah, sure. So, um, I'm an engineer by training. Um, I started working back in 97 on software engineering and then I quickly moved into DSP and speech recognition and AI technologies. So I started a PhD in 2000. Um, I started out in UCD. So I spent about two years there establishing the initial and it was on audiovisual speech recognition. So back then it was completely different to how it's done now. Um, and I ended up spending about two years of my time in Columbia University in New York in a speech recognition lab there. I also ended up working in IBM research in Yorktown Heights in New York. Um, again, on speech recognition, kind of state of the art speech recognition. Um, and then when I finished my PhD in 2004, it was actually, yeah, it's right before I started five, I started working in Bell Labs. And Bell Labs here in Blanchardstown, um, Nokia Bell Labs now. And while working there for seven years, I spent a lot of time in the US, so our, my team was in um, New Jersey, in Summit, New Jersey. And again, working on speech recognition and AI and machine learning te- technologies over the, different ones over the years, different applications. Um, but all the while, I would have been focused on adult speech recognition, as was you know, 99% of researchers in this area over 40, 50 years. Um, and there has been an effort in children's speech, but it was very limited. Um, and back in 2013, um, I was working with my daughter, um, kind of working with, you know, looking at apps and web services, you know, kind of educational stuff to keep her entertained. And um, I was quite struck with the fact that despite the huge leaps we were seeing in speech recognition that there was very little done for children and I mean you know limited amounts on all fronts um, and really it really surprised me for that we'd, we, we've gone so far with the technology and so to my, to my mind that was a, a significant gap that I wanted to address. And was that the catalyst to you going I need to make this jump and go for it? Yeah absolutely to me it was really obvious that you know I mean, you know, I, I'd worked on the commercialization of research innovations within Bell Labs for years, and often you are looking for a new product, a new innovation, a new piece of research that can add to the business of, of telecommunications, which was what Alcatel is doing at the time. Um, but when I, I, I realized I wanted to do something different, I left Bell Labs and I decided to start working on this because it was something that a telecommunications commission was going to work on. Um, but to my mind, you know, it, it was big enough and very few other people agreed with me on that. Actually, to be honest, you know, people struggled with the idea that voice technology was ever going to be big back when I think back in 2013. So, you know, there was a small number of people who, who understood what I wanted to do um, and a bigger amount who didn't. <laughs> so how did you, and we can see the power of voice now, it's so amazing for what it can do, removing friction from everyday uh, items. 
tell me about the journey of actually going to where you are now because in so many ways it's so pioneering because few people knew but for an awful lot of people they'd be like what are you doing a good example would be back in 2004 when i was in ibm we sat through a demo of a voice assistant much more like an alexa or google home or a siri but it's 2004 and you know the manager of the group was demoing I'm driving in a car now and I'm looking for a restaurant and the, the assistant was, was talking back saying, oh, would you like, you know, what kind of restaurant? He'd say Italian. There's a, and she'd say, there's a good Italian down the road, but the traffic is like this, so I suggest you go this way. So it was exactly like the helpful voice assistants we're seeing now. But that was 14 years ago and it's taken that long for it to be usable because you had to get over the... Um, the irritation that most people experience when you have accuracy in the 80 percentile it's not good enough and it's frustrating so what i encountered a lot when i was talking to people back from 2013 that was their only experience and i was trying to explain that you know well we have gpus and deep learning and things are changing it's getting better but people just oh, i tried it three years ago and it was terrible and really and they never tried it again yeah. So that was where, you know, in the work I'd been doing, I knew where it was going. I knew what the end goal was, which was, you know, not the end goal, but, you know, a milestone would be the voice assistance. Uh, deep learning was going to get us there. Um, but if you weren't in the industry, you wouldn't know all those yeah. things. So maybe yeah. a lot of people are surprised yeah. where, at this point, where if you've been in the industry as long as I have, you're not. You're just going, yeah. I'm surprised it took this long. And what were kind of challenges that you need to overcome? kind of uh to, to kind of get to the stage you are now on the technical front children are a lot different to adults like so i mean to be honest i probably thought we could have done this quicker but now, you know i now understand why there are so few people working in this area because it's really difficult children a lot of the voice technology relies on a certain amount of predictability of adults right um, you know, whether it's your uh, language composition, you know, the rules of, of the English language or whatever language you're talking in. Um, and then you have different issues with kids, right? So they're physically very different vocal tracks, you know, physical dimensions and stuff is different. So it puts the kids' voices in a different uh, frequency range. And then you have the unpredictability of kids because kids will and can say everything and they don't follow, you know, all the rules and, you know, they're their thought process jumps around and they they, st they stammer, they hesitate, they repeat, they shout, they sing, they whisper. And, you know, you can't not be responding to a child in those because that is a natural way. So one of the big challenges we had and the one I wanted to address was real world. I wanted to build a system, not that would work in a quiet room like this. I wanted to work in a system that would work in the real world environments that children have it, you know, I mean, they, they will be in the kitchen. They don't go, a five-year-old doesn't go to their bedroom and quietly work away. They don't do that. Like, um, So I wanted to make sure that if we built something, it was, um, you know, it was fit for purpose and it was fit to be sent out. And that was a huge challenge, and, but worth doing. And to my mind, it wasn't worth building if we couldn't do it. Yeah, it's, it's incredible because you start off with a, a vision and you believe you can get there and then suddenly all these different challenges come back and then you figure out now i know why people haven't been trying to do this yeah so can you give some examples of clients that are using your product and how you've kind of really brought some benefits across uh, to them and how more customers should probably take more note of the importance of getting this right so there's a couple of different ways of, of answering that i suppose we're you know we launched publicly the api in december um we've had a huge amount of inbound interest from across, across the globe. But the 
what we've been striving to do is build a technology that can be licensed into multiple verticals, right? So we have uh, gaming, toys, robotics is a big one as well, English language learning, reading, as well as augmenting voice assistance for performance with children, because, you know, you can't put a voice assistant in a car or in a TV where, you know, a child is in the living room, a child is in the car. Anybody who has children is going to tell you that. You can't, you're not going to get that kid to stop talking at the device because it looks highly entertaining and fun they're going to do it but it, it hurts the brand if it doesn't work for children you know and it doesn't what happens is often a system that's been designed with adult data modeling adult behaviors uh, will start not working as well for kids under the age of 12 and then the younger the child gets the worse the performance gets so when right down to about four or five so as well as the very specific child products like a toy like a robot or like a game or English language learning for kids, we're helping to augment systems that are, you know, primarily have been designed for adults, but people are beginning to realise now, and the companies that are coming to us are beginning to realise they can't stop the kids using them and what to do next. And you gave the great example um, recently when I, when I saw you speak at DTS, was when a child is interacting, interacting with Alexia or let's say a play date comes over, they're, they're interacting with it, and the parents are never always going to be in the room, for example, and the ownership of that data and some of the concerns that are going to come, and where do you, where do you see that going and what do we need to be mindful of that? Data privacy obviously is huge. Um, luckily, I think being a parent actually kind of informed my decisions of how we were going to do this, going back to 2013 when I started, when I left, was that we had to collect data and we had to be mindful of the privacy and protection around uh, all data, but particularly voice. So one of the things I, you know, we established in the beginning was how we were going to do this, uh, you know, complying with all these. And interestingly, the US COPPA laws, as they call them over there, um, are actually uh, identical practically to GDPR. So we have always been compliant. Um, and then, so this GDPR thing is nothing new to us. Um, we've always known how to do this. We've been very mindful how we collected data over the years. But now we're finding ourselves in a place where we advise companies on how to do this because a lot of people really don't understand their responsibilities around data. And and be, doing it for five years, we do. And you know, we're experts in the area now because of of, of having to be mindful, having to watch it, having to interpret the rules. Um, so what we've also done is, you know, file patents on, on, on data protection as well. Like, you know, so, you know, it's our business. We have to be, we have to help people, but we also want to make sure that we're market leaders in this. Um, we look at a number of different strategies, right? Like the one I used at DTS was that, you know, if you've given permission for your child to um, interact with a voice UI, be it an assistant or a toy, um, but their friend comes to visit. Um, you the, the operator and the processor actually don't have permission for that other child. So what do you do? Um, you know, well, we've been looking at um, you know how you protect data on the back end, how you ensure that you only save the data from the right person on the back end, and that's not trivial. It's achievable though, and it's technically achievable. But there has to be the will of the operators and the processors to be transparent about what they do with the data, making sure they collect only the right data. Because if you take out a device right now out of a box and plug it in and a child immediately uses it where's your responsibility yeah <clears throat> and does that come back to being very purposeful planning for it very mindful of all these different things in advance so everything that you're doing is you're taking all, all that ecosystem because a lot of companies now 
are like, oh, what are we going to do? But when you're actually setting the standard or you're consulting with that company from the get-go of all the steps that you need to do, then the culture is, in, is built into that knowing this is how we're going to yeah. do it and this is why we're going to do it. Because as you said from the very start, you knew what you were going to do with data. You knew how you were going to manage it. You know how proactive and you were, how much you're going to respect that privacy. And this is going to be a big education piece for a lot of companies. Yeah, I think some people kind of, you know, just want to get on the, the voice technology, you know, kind of wave right now. But I mean, you really need to re design for voice, voice first, right? So I mean, it's, it definitely takes a little thinking. You can just start voice enabling stuff, sure, but you'll have a better product if you, you know, design with voice in mind. This is a slight bit different, and we do help advise a little bit on that. But also around the privacy, I mean, you know, we don't work with companies who won't respect privacy and they won't uh, comply because, you know, that's not an you know, that is a, a basic requirement for engaging with us. Um, so, you know, we advise on how to do that. Um, and a lot of companies are coming to us thinking they understand it and maybe just being a little bit off, like, you know, because it's such a new thing for a lot of companies. Where do you see the future? I know this is a challenging question, um, but where do you see the next kind of one to two years going? Obviously, deep learning has become really, really important. Can you see a market kind of evolving or going in a certain direction or... I think what you've seen with voice technology now is the tip of the iceberg, to be honest. Like, it's, you know, it's actually a little brittle still. Like, you know, I mean, this can be quite frustrating to use one of those systems and it doesn't do everything. They come back to you too often saying they can't. So I think um, what we're going to see is that voice is will get more intelligent. It will get more pervasive. I mean, it's, I strongly believe it's going to start replacing gesture, touch, typing, clicks, all that. It's yeah. just... It is the natural way that humans interact. So it just makes sense that once the accuracy there, um, we're going to start seeing. So you're going to be at a vending machine and using your voice to, to, to command around the button. You know, it's, it's, I think people in the US who've had the likes of Amazon Alexa for nearly three years now is making more sense. If you think about it, there's like 40 million households with, with the Alexa in, in the US right now. We've only got it here recently. So people here will probably don't see it as much. Yeah. But, but that's what you're going to see in the next two years, yeah. for sure. Because even I want to watch the Leinster match on Saturday, let's say. I have to click through 50 channels or you know, tweak around it. But if I just say Leinster game, it's agnostic yeah. to everything. It just goes straight to the game, time, yeah. it doesn't matter. Or Because when you're on your phone and you're checking Google Maps or you're typing, it's so, there's so much friction yes. to that experience rather than you just go to the phone and go... Find me soapboxes, address, yeah. you know, the, the, the new one. So it's, it's, I just feel that anywhere there's friction, yeah. it's just going to cut us. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you think about what kids, right? So kids can't read. <laughs> a lot of the, you know, until a certain age and, and, their, and their fluency increases, voice is a natural interface for them. They don't, you know, clicking the right button or having the dexterity to do things or, you know, navigating stuff. Voice, kids love voice and their voice, they're, they'll be voice natives, right? They'll never, I think it was a really good quote from one of the Amazon, um, uh, Amazon executives was that, you know, kids today will never know a day that they couldn't speak to their house, <laughs> you know, and all the appliances within it. Yeah. It just seems a bit like natural and that's yeah, where it's going. It's, it's 100% right. And I think what is so, so exciting is that any industry that's there to be disruptive, voice is going to be able just to cut through because it is that natural thing that we like to do. I remember at DTS, I saw a really good presentation with Visa and they were just showing the next three to five years about the different interactions and how you can actually take it forward. And voice just makes it so, so simple. So I agree, it's the tip of the iceberg. 
interesting projects in the next 12 to 18 months for Soapbox? Yeah, we're going multilingual. Um, we raised Horizon 2020 SMEI Phase 2, so we've, you know, new, new investment from the EU, a grant, innovation grant for 1.5 million for a 2.1 million project Brilliant. on taking our platform multilingual. So we're starting with Mandarin, Spanish and Portuguese, followed by French, German and Italian. We're adding new languages now. We'll be rapidly adding new languages. We're also bringing out new kind of innovative products in the voice tech space all around kids. Um, and there is a huge demand for, for what we're doing, which is great. So. This is brilliant, Patricia. Thank you very much for your time. Okay, cheers. Thanks. Thank you. That's all for this episode of AI in Action. Hope you really enjoyed it. If you'd like to stay updated with all the latest podcasts, then please head over to the website aiinaction.ie and subscribe to the newsletter to get the podcast delivered straight to your inbox. Finally, I'd like to take the time to let you know about the AI Awards. We're now looking for applications from academia and industry professionals to apply. Set up in 2018, the AI Awards are a not-for-profit business, community-led initiative that was set up to celebrate the best in artificial intelligence and data science in Ireland. Our focus is to support the AI community by recognising the hard work and dedication of those working in the field of AI, data science and machine learning. We see this as a fantastic opportunity to showcase your work and skills to the AI community on the island of Ireland and also help raise the profile of Ireland as a destination for AI investment. Winning an award brings industry-wide recognition, raises your company profile and increases awareness of your brand and product. Applications take only a couple of minutes, so go ahead, apply today at www.aiawards.ie. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you again next week.